0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our time here today by calling in the ancestors. I call out to all of those who have gone before us, who have lived well, who have died well. Those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful to us in the lineage that they offer. I call out to those who loved, those who had the courage to love well, those whose hearts were broken, and those who found a way to heal, to become even more wholehearted in their path, in their life. So I call out to those ancestors of the heart, those courageous warriors of the heart, and I ask them to be with us here today that we may grow wise, that we may learn from their lives and gain the courage in our own hearts to do what must be done today. So I call out to those ancestors to stand with us here today, to circle round, to hold us well, that we, the living, might do what must be done, that the descendants will have what it is that they need To live well and to live in good relationship with all living things. I call out to the earth below, the great ancestor earth, the being, the planet, the home that we all share. This beautiful, exquisitely lovely home that every single one of us on this planet shares. May we take what we gain from today to go more softly on this planet. To use her resources wisely and to share together in the abundance to celebrate all that we can do together here on this earth because we are together one we are the miracle of life so we give thanks to the earth in great gratitude send our own love down to the earth to give thanks for all that has been in our lives that has brought us to this moment for all that is and all that will be we give thanks for home we give thanks for belonging We give thanks for the blessing of life, that life itself is a blessing. May we live this way, remembering that, and not squander this day in forgetfulness and simple-heartedness. Let us be in this day knowing in our hearts that our life is a miracle and live in great gratitude for that. And let us remember through the energy of the earth that all things are connected and we are all one And that we must live in a way that takes some accountability for that. So give thanks to the earth below and reach up from the earth into the sky all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call this power of the sky, call it down. Call it down into our circle here today to bring us blessing, to bring us protection, to bring us the generosity and benevolence of this existence, to call in all the wisdom of the cosmos. To call in the great inspiration of the heart, to call in all the poets of the love poems, to call in the spirit of all of the writers of the great love songs, and to call in the spirit of all of the singers of the great love songs. We call out for every moment that two people shared a love dance. We call out to this energy, this energy from above that inspires our hearts and connects us all. We call it into our circle here today. And with the earth below and the sky above coming together inside of us and blending to the exact perfect mix for us here today and the ancestors standing round with all of our helping spirits, we call out the energy of the heart today. The heart with its amazing capacity to hold the fire of our passion and the cool clarity of our mind together in a way that the fire and the ice can live together in that crazy dance that will express to you in some way, somehow, the feeling of the call of your own soul's purpose. So we give thanks to the heart for the magic of of the heart space, for its own logic and its own wisdom. And we ask that heart energy to be present with us here today. May all these spirit energies come together to hold us all well, that we may hear what must be heard and, that was, and what must be spoken be spoken. We give thanks to you all for joining me here today on whatever day it happens to be that you are joining me in the wonderful miracle of timeless, spaceless podcasts. And I want to give thanks now to all of the listeners who have been donating to keep the show alive and on the air and free for all those who have access If this show is meaningful to you in any way, please know that it's easy and painless to donate to the show, to offer, to give back for those things that move you. This is an essential wisdom at the core of shamanism that we must allow ourselves to be moved in our hearts and to act from that movement, from that motivation. And so for those of you that don't know, whyshamanismnow.com is a website. It has a support button. Feel free to use it. You are welcome to give as little or as much as you choose. Every single dollar goes to keeping the show on the air, and we are grateful for every penny. So today, this show is about the shaman's heart. The shaman's heart is an awakened heart. And by that I mean it's a heart that has walked the path. To create openness where the heart was closed. To create strength where the heart was weak. To create vision out of the places of doubt and the lack of clarity. And a heart that can create the fullness and the ability to love. Where there was weak heartedness and half heartedness and an inability to step in, all because of life's heartbreaks. And so the shaman can't possibly presume to guide another in the journey of their own healing if they have not walked that path themselves. And this is true throughout the human experience that we cannot lead where we have not already followed. And so today... We explore the heart and the capacity of healing the heart and to to take from the training of a shaman some different ideas about how we as contemporary people can approach the healing of the heart. So the shaman is asked to step into the lives of others to address the greatest heartbreak that a human being can endure. The unspeakable, profound grief in the heart of a parent who has experienced the death of his or her child. The barren, unanchored devastation in the heart of a child who faces the death of their parent. the depth of betrayal and exposure and confusion that breaks the heart of the child who is incested. And then there is the soldier's heart that must confront the facts in the inner world when the outer world has accepted killing and being killed as normal. These are the heartbreaks. These and others, but these in particular are the kinds of heartbreaks that can kill us. These are the kinds of heartbreaks that we explore today. Whether one dies the slow wasting death of a life no longer felt to be worth living or the dramatic death that arises out of the self-destructive behavior of those who've experienced this kind of heartbreak in life. Dead is dead. Do not imagine for a moment that it, the heartbreak cannot kill you. It can. And it does. People die from this level uh, or depth, however you want to think of it, of soul loss. They always have. It's a slow death. And shamanic cultures of old knew this. And they knew how to heal it. Unfortunately, today, far too many pol- people believe that some things can't be healed. I hear this too often. Far too often. And, and yet I understand where that statement comes from, because if we do not bring the shaman back in to address the soul loss at the core of this uh, level of heartbreak, it, it isn't healed. I, I understand that. And yet at the same time, we as a culture need to understand that soul loss and soul retrieval is available to us and there is no reason for us to believe that these things can't be healed. So I must say respectfully from my experience that these things can be healed. I respectfully disagree with those professionals who would hold that ground. So at the risk of too much information, um, I'd like to share a personal story at this moment just to bring us deeper into um, what could become a very heavy-hearted discussion. Um, for many years in my 40s, I had a lover. And I wondered, year after year, why this man, who I found so delightful and wonderful to be with, and he appeared to feel the same about me, why we remained lovers in this sort of limited way, and why it didn't sort of evolve into this full-blown relationship. And then many years into this relationship, we had a conversation and I'm sharing this because I think he, he speaks well to, um, a very common perspective, actually. I mean, he, he, he summed it up beautifully is that he believed that you live your life with love and passion and humor and you fall in love and you get your heart broken and that changes you. And that is just how life makes you who you are. That's just how it works and that you don't whine about it. You just get back on the horse and you carry on and that there's no concept in that of heart healing because the whole point of this perspective on life is that this is how life shapes you. That that is the process. There isn't anything more or less to it. Now, I agree that you live your life with love and passion and humor and you fall in love and you get your heart broken and that changes you. And after a time, you have a choice of what to do with how that heartbreak has changed you. So though this this man and I talked many times about our understanding of love and the heart and heartbreak and, and how that makes us who we are, we never found a common ground. And I believe that this alone is the reason that our relationship was never the big love. Because we had no common ground in the heart. At the very core of how we understood the heart to be working in our lives, we might as well have been on different planets. And to be fair, I actually was never really able to, to fully express my understanding of, of what happens after heartbreak. It does change us. There's no disagreement there. But as a shamanic practitioner and as a person who approaches my life shamanically, I just have a different experience, which is not unique only to me because, I mean, I work this way with all of my clients and students. So anyway, I admit, though, I was never really able to fully explain my experience to to find that common ground until... Until I was driving cross-country and I had many audiobooks to listen to in the car, which is actually, by the way, one of my favorite things to do, there is having someone tell you a story or read you a story, someone who's a good storyteller, is one of the great true pleasures of life. So here I am driving cross-country and um, I, have, I had the audiobook of All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. It's um, a heartbreakingly beautiful book to stay on topic here. Anyway, near the end of this story that McCarthy is telling of his main character, John Grady. Um, John Grady uh, is a man of the horse. He, he's an amazing character, and you're going to have to read the book. Sorry about that, everyone. So we're going to go back to Cormac McCarthy's um, quote, because it's so important and so precise. So he's speaking about John Grady, and he says, He saw very clearly how all his life led only to this moment, and all after led nowhere at all. He felt something cold and soulless enter him like another being. And he imagined that it smiled malignly. And he had no reason to believe that it would ever leave. Yes, the heart can be broken by life and love in this way. And yes, a cold and soulless thing does enter that space for a time. That space in the heart that is created by the breaking, it is entered by a cold and soulless thing for a time. And in that moment, it feels as if that cold, soulless thing will never leave. That is the reality of heartbreak. But you see, grief has grace in it. Grief gives us time. That is its grace. So there will come a time much later after that moment of heartbreak when the cold soulless thing descends and enters the heart, filling the space of the break. There comes a time much later because grief has grace for us. When we can choose, we can either allow that cold and soulless thing to stay like a scar in our heart, limiting our range of emotion and taking up space that could never be filled now with love. Or at this place, we can choose to send the cold and soulless thing away, not banish it. This is not a moment for heroic shamanic extraction or even compassionate depossession. We can choose to send the cold and soulless thing away, not to banish it, but to thank it for the relief its cold nature brought to the searing pain of our heartbreak. We can thank, not depossess it or send it away, but to give thanks for the numbness that was induced by this thing's soullessness. That cold soulless thing is no friend of love or lovers, but it is a friend of life. It brought relief to the fire of the pain. It brought numbness to the pain of the broken heart. It is a friend of life. It gave you time to be with grief and its grace. So if you are willing to accept the responsibility for healing that break in the heart, now that you can, that cold and soulless thing can leave for you see that cold and soulless thing was helping you, giving you time until you had the ability to step up to that break in the heart and to heal it. So that soul cold, soulless thing can leave and it does leave as your own love. Radiates from within that broken heart damaged though it might feel as your own love begins to radiate out from within filling the space that was created by the breaking that cold soulless thing is no longer needed it can slip away and it will just as it slipped in this is the way that the heart grows stronger this is the way that the heart increases its capacity to be present in this world that that space that was wrenched open by your heartbreak held numb and cold until you could come back round by that dark and soulless thing that opening is what your heart grows into to grow larger and bigger and more courageous in the world and it is your choice because it is your heart to let it scar over with the dark soulless thing. That is your choice. But you can also know that it is your choice to let the cold soulless thing slip away again and to fill that space with your own love. There is a choice, and it can only be made by the courageous. The choice to love again precedes the healing. And this is the great confusion most share. The heart doesn't heal so that it can love again. The heart chooses to love again. And in that choice, the heart can now heal. And we must understand this to understand the shaman's heart. This courageous heart. But it is not a heart bred and cultivated on pop songs and movie star love dramas and Hollywood's happy endings. It's a heart that knows there's only two choices in the world. In all moments in life, there are only actually two choices. One is to love, and one is to be afraid. And because the shaman has been called into service by the spirit world, the shaman only has one choice, and that is to love. And so the path of the courageous heart, the path of awakening the shaman's heart, is the path of coming to terms with the fact that there's no opt-out clause anymore. There's no fear choice anymore. Fear happens, but you don't get to stand there. You don't get to choose to keep the relief of the cold, soulless thing and let the heart grow smaller as life continues day after day to break your heart. You don't get that option anymore. You can't face a mother who lost her child. You can't face a soldier who's come back from war, perhaps even killed one of their own in friendly fire. You cannot face this heartbreak if you have not faced your own. So this is the path then of the courageous heart, the path of the shaman's heart. So what do we take from this as everyday ordinary people listening to this podcast in the middle of your workday? What do you take from this? Well, the way that I think about it with, with people is that we take in the heartbreak and then the numbness comes and then we wrap it in a story and then It becomes about the story, the story of how the heart got broken. And that the problem here is that the story isn't real in a shamanic sense in terms of the real energy. What is real is that dark soulless thing and the wrenched open heart. Those energies are real, the brokenness and that energy that is filling it for the time, the soulless thing. The cold, soulless thing. These are real. What the story does is it wraps it up. So you don't have to feel that. Cold, soulless thing. So that you don't have to feel the pain of the heart. And as long as we choose not to feel, we choose not to allow the heart to heal. And so there will come a time after the grieving and the loss and the changes that that brings, that if we want to use the shaman's path as a metaphor, we must understand that there comes a time, like a cast on a leg, to take the cast off, to unwrap that pain in the heart, to unwrap the story. So there comes a point where you have to simply let the story go. The story doesn't serve you for anything other than a buffer between you and what is at hand, what needs to be done. So the story needs to be released. It needs to not matter anymore. And in doing that, in in unwrapping the story, like taking off a cast, you're left now with the actual wound and the energy, in this case, in the heartbreak that has come in as the salve, to give you time to get your feet, to find your new ground. Because, you know, after heartbreak, there's no going back. That is the power of love. Love takes us forward one way or another. There is no going back. So we go forward in loving, creative expression of life. We go forward in loving, creative expression of life and then get our heart broken. And there's no going back to whatever that safe ground was before you chose to love before the break. There's only going forward. And so we unwrap that old story and we let it go. Just like a band-aid, just throw it away, can't reuse it. And then we are confronted with the dark soulless thing, the cold soulless thing, and the break itself. And what is important in that moment is the gratitude. To let the cold soulless energy slip away. To be grateful for the numbness, the ability it gave you to check out, the ability it gave you to cope with the pain, the ability that it gave you to find the new ground, to find the new air to breathe that wasn't poisoned by the pain of that past breakup, to find the fresh water to drink, to find the new fire, the new reason for living. Gives you time to find your new ground, to reconnect to life as it is now post heartbreak. And then you unwrap the story and address the the pain itself. And in this, what I have found is for those who are willing to feel, to go back to this place and to feel, not repeat the story and go through all of the old emotions to to in essence re-experience the trauma of heartbreak. What I mean is people who are willing to stand on their new ground, breathing their new air, rejuvenated by their fresh water and feeling the new fire for life in their belly, to open up that place in the heart and to simply feel it now. Feel it in the moment without any expectations or assumptions or preconceived ideas about what it should feel, where you should go, what things should be. So the key is of course the willingness to feel again. And once a person has that courage, that courage to feel Then we can begin to make medicine. And what I mean by this, well, what I mean by this is that the heart is absolutely unique. It is a phenomenal, utterly still not understood entity within us. It is both a holy, organic, physical world muscle just pumping away. And it is also energetically the coordinator of all the organ systems and all the movement of the physical world within the body that keeps you alive. And if you want to know more about that, Google heart math. Um, The heart shamanically is the same in all realms. In other words, I have found myself in non-human realms in the effort to retrieve someone's lost soul part or soul or energy and in that realm since I'm human I can't even find myself because it is a non-human realm and what I have found even in the non-human realms the heart is something and that is the only way that I can locate myself and, and pursue the purpose for which I am there is through the heart The heart is the place that a shamanic healer grasps the soul and puts it back in the heart to convey it back into present time to then take it out of the heart and put it back in the body of the person. Why the heart? Why not some other organ? This isn't about some contemporary idea about love and compassion. This is about the fact that no matter what realms you have to travel through to get from where you found the soul part, to this realm that you sit with the person who needs the soul part back, the heart will be the same in all of those realms. The heart is an unbelievable energy entity and and simple physical being. It makes its own medicine, if we'll let it. This is, for me, in my life, one of the great discoveries, in working with people and working myself in the healing, is that the heart contains its own capacity to heal, its own medicine for healing. And that's why the heart, as I said earlier, you don't heal and then gain the ability to love again. You love again, you choose, you simply choose to love again. And that accesses the capacity in the heart to heal. In other words, the heart has to be online to do what it does. And what it does is miraculous. What it does is still unexplored and unexplained. That at this point now, 20 years into my shamanic practice, I would say I'm probably just tapping the very tip of an iceberg of what the heart is capable of doing. So the heart makes its own medicine if we allow it. And this is not a way of saying time heals all wounds because time doesn't heal anything, actually. What we need to do to allow the heart to make medicine is to move into the realm, move ourselves into the realm where the heart can do this, which is the archetypal or the mythic realm. It's the realm of the true energies. A realm, in other words, not caught up and defined by cultural stories, your personal stories, all of the the tiniest stories of the human drama, which are, of course, the experiences that break the heart. I get it. But the point is, once the heart is broken, you can't try to heal it with something from that human realm. You have to extend into the realm of the gods to heal the heart. And this is the beauty of shamanism is you can do that. So in the shamanic lineage that I teach, this work with the heart is at the core of the teaching because there is an understanding in many shamanic cultures that true power is mediated through the heart. And there are other power expressions of power in the world, but they are abuse of power or misuse of power in some way. But that true True power is mediated through the heart. And so the heart must be a clear um, radiator, basically. Uh, as a radiant being, it must be able to express those energies out without distortion. So it's the healing of the heart is at the core of the shamanic lineage that I teach. And that we work directly with hummingbird in this particular cosmology as the teacher that can guide us um, in healing the heart itself. And you know, hummingbirds are such funny creatures. Or, well, maybe we're the funny creatures and the hummingbirds are perfectly fine, but we all go, oh, what hummingbirds are so sweet. They're so cute. They're amazing. They're miraculous little beings. And they're so tiny. And And I always wonder, how can something so tiny survive? And yet they do. But more than that, if you've ever lived with hummingbirds, they're really feisty. They're not just like, Cute, sweet beings to, you know, with the fairies and, you know, our misunderstanding of it. it the, our misunderstanding of hummingbirds is right up there with our misunderstanding of the fairy world. You know, they're not cute, delightful beings. They're little warriors. They're enormously territorial and loud about it. And they zoom around with their little beaks out. And boy, if you step in the way, you could get beaned. You know, I mean, these things are serious. And so, what we get from hummingbird is that amazing, miraculous feeling that just comes whenever you witness a hummingbird hovering and swooping and drinking nectar, to drink nectar. Uh, It's amazing, right? And then the fierce, territorial, um, no-holds-barred way that they defend their territory and claim their space. And this is exactly the medicine, exactly the teacher that we need for the heart so in this lineage the heart has four chambers which of course the heart does physically have four chambers but these are energetic chambers these are all in theory should be equivalent chambers Um, and each of these chambers of the heart if we are in love if the heart is online in loving energy these chambers of the heart offer us access to powers of the heart and the powers of the heart that we seek to cultivate in these teachings are essence energies. These are, are um, oh, by cultivating this energy in the heart, we are tending these essences in the world, in humanity, for humanity, in essence. So the essence energies that we access through the heart are wisdom and vision, power and love. And... Um, the important thing to understand is that when we slip into fear, these energies of the heart change. And so in the chamber that, uh, where we would be full-hearted in love and we would access the power, the essence energy of love, when we slip into fear, we become half-hearted. Instead of being full, we're approaching things halfway. Now, the importance of this is that when we are in a state as human beings of needing to do heart healing, to begin to work through and release the cold, soulless moments, cold, soulless things that have come in in the heartbreak of our life, and to clear these energies so that we can go forward in life powerfully um, and, and compassionately from the heart as we seek to do these things we're usually not connected to our heart we usually don't actually have a very good sense of what is going on in our heart and consequently we don't notice whether we're full-hearted or half-hearted we don't we don't know the difference and so the beauty of the energy that flows out of the half-heartedness is that it presents addictive behavior that we can watch in ourselves in our everyday life. And we can track that addictive behavior back to what it implies then is going on in the heart. And through that, we can then work on the the healing of that chamber of the heart. The other value in these teachings is that we work with the heart energy in these four different dimensions in the four chambers instead of working with it as one energy. Um, and that also helps us to engage in a, in a fuller, a more wholehearted sense of things um, instead of just uh, a more limited sense of what heart healing means. So if we uh, find ourselves being half-hearted, instead of full hearted and we drop out of that power of love, the addiction we would catch ourselves is an addiction to intensity. And there are many addictions to intensity out there in the world today. Um, Adrenaline, sex, love, um, work, you know, anything that kicks up your adrenaline, Um, coffee, substances, there's a whole lot of addiction to intensity in the American culture. And what that means then is to, bring this full circle is if you are a person who expresses addiction to intensity in any form in your life, then what you are wanting truly to be as a great lover is to access the power of love, but you're chickening out what it really boils down to. And that all of these addictions are the chickening out of actually loving. And so in the next chamber of the heart, the energy that we access is wisdom because the heart is open and we're able then to access The wisdom of anything, the heart, spirit world, your own wisdom, the moment, the land, whatever. You're just, your heart is open to hear the wisdom in all. Remember, the heart, the heart translates into all the realms. And so it is through the heart that we can hear, quote unquote, all the different wisdoms. And when we go into fear, that open heart becomes closed. And the addiction that extends out of that is the addiction to the need to know. And there are many, many manifestations of the need to know now in our contemporary world where we can Google anything and, and, and follow threads of information, utterly disconnected and without context, all day long. Um, you know, we have books and I can't do anything until I know what it is, keeping us out of experiential learning. There are many, many ways that the addiction to the need to know manifests and if you are one of those people that finds yourself in the uh, any version of the addiction to the need to know, what that means then is you are shut down to the wisdom of your own heart. But what it means deeper than that is that you have great wisdom in your heart, great wisdom and that you're chickening out from knowing it because you're standing in fear, choosing to stand in fear instead of love. And so the next chamber would be the chamber of the strong heart that gives us access to power, the way to act in a heartfelt way in the world. And so when, we, uh, when, this, when that strong heart goes into fear, we go into um, weak-heartedness, strong and weak-heartedness. And weak-heartedness results then in our life in addition to perfection. And for those of you that do any version of the addiction to perfection, what is really wanting to come out of you is, is a great courageous heart. It's real power to act as someone from your heart in the world. So I find this very bizarre actually having in my life just had far too much experience with lawyers. Here we have a job where people, if they're good at it, have to be addicted to perfection. Because every especially contract lawyers, good lord, everything, you know, hinges on whether it's a comma or a period. Incredible fixation on perfection. And yet what you you have in that is someone who really wants to be a warrior for the power of the heart, for what is right, what is true, what is just. And yet they can't because the system forces them into this fear-based addiction to perfection. It's such a mess, people. It's such a mess. Oh, I can hardly stand it. I mean, it, it breaks my heart, frankly. So the final chamber of the heart is where we access the possibility of the future and the power of the vision of the heart, the ability to see within, to see without, to see outside of space and time, the power of the heart there in in that chamber is vision and that is what we gain from a clear heart and when the clear heart goes into fear it becomes a doubting heart and the doubting heart then leads us into an addiction um, a fixation on what's not working and so we lose the vision that keeps things in context keeps things in perspective keeps our priorities straight and we scope down on that one thing that's not working Right? And so you throw your whole diet away because today you had that piece of cheesecake. right? So it's all broken. You're just going to throw it all away because you fixate on that one thing that's not working instead of remembering that actually over the last three weeks you've done a pretty decent job and you've actually lost a couple pounds. Right? So that it can be that practical of losing the vision. And so what that means is that in your heart... Is a great belief, a great desire for that which isn't here yet, for the future, for something that you could truly love so much you would commit your whole life to bringing it into manifestation. That that's what really exists in your heart. And if you're fixated on what's not working, then you've chickened out of what really wants to happen in your heart. And so in learning to cultivate an awareness of these addictions, noticing them in our life, and working with them to trace back into the chambers of the heart, we then work on cultivating the energy of the heart, so that each chamber is essentially the imagery that we have for it, because again we're working with hummingbird, is that each chamber of the heart opens up like a flower, and that the hummingbird bird can drink nectar straight from that chamber of the heart. That the heart is simply um, an expression of the nectar of life um, in all four chambers. And that this is the, the goal of the teachings as we work with the heartbreak that we find in our hearts that convinces us that fear is a more reasonable position than love. So the important thing to understand about this in this moment, since those teachings are far too complex to actually get into it in any depth in a podcast, is that when our heart changes, when our heart slips into fear, we are no longer in reality. We are no longer in love. That's really important to understand that when we slip into fear, we're no longer in reality. Now we're in a story. And we're no longer in love. So this, what this means then is that if you're in the story, then you're not in reality. If you're not in reality, you cannot help the heart to heal. So if we go back to soul loss and soul retrieval, so shamanically speaking, we bring the soul part back. And so now we've changed the story. the soul soul part itself is back. But we must now unwrap that story. We have to somehow get the story out of the part and let the story of that brokenheartedness go. For example, the mother who experiences the death of the child, the infant, let's say, when that soul part comes back, that mother has to be willing to unwrap that story that has kept that broken heartedness wrapped up and safe to not be felt. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way because this mother in this story is grieving, has been grieving. It's not that people aren't doing what's presented to them to heal, but in this final piece, this final place of the healing of the heart, let's say the soul part does get brought back. The soul retrieval itself is not enough. In and of itself, it is critical for the healing, but not enough. Because the person in this imaginary story, the mother and the soul part, so the young mother who lost the child at childbirth, so this older woman version of herself and the young mother together have to unwrap that story, have to let that story go a defining story of someone's life, and you have to let it go because the reality is in the heart. And so the soul part, and so the young mother and the older woman now stand facing the cold soulless thing in the heart that they both share. And they need to thank it. It allowed them to survive a pain, a soul loss that could have killed them. And so they need to thank it and let it go, and let the love that they have for each other, the young mother and the older woman, the love they have for each other, and even the memory of the child, the love that is in the heart, to rise up and fill that space so the cold soulless thing is no longer needed. It can slip away, back to wherever the cold soulless thing goes, until it's needed to help another person in that searing moment of heartbreak. So it goes. And now, so now through this work with the present time woman and the young mother, soul part, now these two, freed of the story and having loved, having chosen courageously simply to love again, have freed the heart of the cold soulless thing. And now there's the space, this new space that didn't exist before. It's space in the heart you don't even know you have. You don't even realize that capacity exists because the fact is it didn't exist before the break. And so now the part, the young mother and the older woman, have this opportunity to fill that space of the heart with their renewed, restored, replenished capacity to love. To feel the wisdom of the heart and the vision and the power of the heart and to go forward towards their soul's purpose in whatever way with even greater capacity in the heart. And so it is important as contemporary people that we understand that the soul retrieval in and of itself is not enough. It is important it brings that energy back that, that will allow the story to finally be unwrapped but that you and your part must unwrap it one way or another you must return to the broken place in the heart and be present there to transform that break to love allow the cold soulless thing to leave And to fill that space with the capacity you have now to be clear in your heart and wise in your heart, to be powerful and loving and to choose to fill that space and allow it, allow your heart to become larger for that breaking. And by working shamanically in the heart with the helping spirits, We can literally journey to the heart itself because it is a wise being beyond all of our imagination at this time. I really truly believe, literally, we do not understand the full capacity of the human heart. So the beauty of journeying is that we can literally go into the heart itself with the help of the hummingbird and ask the chamber of the heart that we're communicating with for what needs to happen for it to heal. What is the medicine that it needs and how do we in our life cultivate that medicine so that that part of our heart can heal from the many, many breakages of life. And my personal belief, having worked with in this way in my own life and seen how my perspective, how my beliefs, how my perspective on how the world works, on how my understanding, frankly, of everything has changed as my heart has changed, as the heartbreak of my life is healed. And as I work to support that process and others and see how they are able to imagine things after that, they were unspeakable before. And so the more that I work with people around the healing of their heart and the willingness to release the story of the old heartbreak and to continue into that breakage, into the heart, to draw out of the heart the medicine that it needs to heal, to grow, to expand into the space the break has created, the more that I work with people around that not the psychology of the story or the drama of the story, but the heart itself, the energy and the wisdom of the heart itself and the medicine in the heart itself. It's a very different way to understand the healing of the heart. But the more that I do this with people, the more that I understand that it is the core of all the healing. It changes everything, absolutely everything. And And my point, I guess, is that it defies, it absolutely defies other wisdoms and other healing modalities you could access today that would tell you that there are some things that just don't heal. I would ask you today, as you go forward from this show, to hold the hypothesis for a year. You can start January 1st if you want to. Or, or if you're Asian, you can count your own new year. But consider the challenge to start the new year with the belief. And it's just a hypothesis for a year. But you have to treat it as a belief or you can't test it. That there is nothing in your life that cannot be healed. Nothing. And that your energy is best spent looking at the healing of the heart because the change there will change everything in your being. And that every moment of heartbreak you have ever experienced is an opportunity for you to return to the great wisdom of your heart and to make medicine that will allow you to become the man or the woman that you have come into this life to be. And may your ancestors be with you on that journey. Thank you. So I want to thank you all for listening here today. As so We talked about the healing of the heart um, next week. Our guest will be Jonathan Horowitz, who runs the Scandinavian Center for Shamanic Studies with Annette Host. Probably didn't pronounce. I think it's Host. Anyway, they are lovely people, and they will be our uh, Jonathan will be our guest next week, and this will be an interview um, as part of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners series. And we thank the SSP for their sponsorship. And it is through these interview series that we look at how shamans today are meeting the challenge. The, of bridging the gap and finding the balance in um, a life that is profoundly out of balance. So I thank you all for joining me today. I thank the ancestors for being with us. thank the earth below and the sky above. And I have deep thanks for the heart that unites us all. Do not allow yourself to surrender to the idea that your heart cannot be healed. It is simply waiting for you to ask the question, what is the medicine that you need? Thank you, everyone.